Left alone to our own devices, two seemingly unscathed Gen Xers muddling through life, learning lessons the hard way. We raised ourselves and aren't afraid to be badass bitches. So hold our coffee while we talk like then and now. We are the Latchkey Chicks. Hey guys, it's me, Mel, and guess who's here today? I'm back. Yes. I am here. I decided to return, even though you have your, you know, sidekick, side chick. I know that I still have a place with the community. Oh, cool. You're you're my main chick. I'm your main uh, main squeeze chick. I appreciate that. I do. And Belle did a great job, and I enjoyed listening to the episode. So that was kudos to you guys. You know, it's, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's uh, it, but it's nice to be back, although it's. Um, a strange time to be sitting here, and that was part of uh, the concern today was whether to go on the mic to talk about things that have happened here in Maine. We're both um, kind of in an interesting headspace. Yeah, it's it's been... I really don't like the word surreal for some reason, but that probably is the best word to use. Mm -hmm. Um just so you all know, we are not, we're not in the middle of uh, the event that occurred in Lewiston this week, but we both have connections to Lewiston. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, very, and that, you know, for me, that runs back to, it's my hometown, it's where I was born, it's where my parents were born and raised, and my husband's family as well, my husband was born in Lewiston. Um, so for both of us, we still have strong ties there, and my sister and nephews live in the area. So we both, you know, probably the first thing I did when I found out about the shooting was check to see if my sister was okay. Was she home? Yes, she was yeah. home, and she was responsive. Like yeah, got back to you right away. Yeah, that's the key, and I know my parents living in the town over. <clears throat> I didn't have a chance to connect with them right away, but we were hearing updates from my husband's family. It was a, lives a mile from where one of the shootings occurred. They live a mile from the bowling alley. So we were even hearing about it like real time. And it was just like you said, I'm going to keep saying that word, even though yeah. I know it's not exactly the word, but it was surreal to know that something was playing out in our hometown that, quickly got escalated up to national attention. Yeah, it was that was one of the craziest parts to me was seeing all mm. of the national attention. And I don't I don't I don't have cable. I don't watch the news in general unless I might YouTube, you know, bring up something here and there a, a story that catches my eye. And I don't follow all the other events like all the time when mm -hmm. they happen, so I was just kind of watching mm. you know Anderson Cooper talking about Maine and like is did is this how they covered all the other events yeah that's an interesting point that you suddenly start to look at it in that context because we've been trained in a way to watch some of these things happen on and the media's coverage of these things is a certain formula and you know how it's going to play out yeah. you know there's going to be people on the ground they're going to be constantly keeping them updated and they're going to be 
talking to all the different experts. So knowing how much coverage was about to unfold. Yeah. And one of the other things that really hit me, because all I do is watch television, TV shows, not news shows. <laughs> and Criminal Minds was always one of my favorites. And when I heard them say the BAU was in Maine, I was like, oh my God. You knew exactly what, I don't even know what that means. The behavioral anal, an, analysis unit, sorry. Oh, interesting. They, you know, they were trying to figure yes. him out so that they yes. could, you know, so, find him. That's crazy. Yeah. And I'm just like, Homeland Security? Mm -hmm. FBI, oh, yeah. All the oh, different, yeah. you know, forms of our government help to try to well, get so, to find this guy. And first of all, before we continue to talk about it, I do want to honor the victims and their families and really express my deep sorrow um, and just say, I can't say enough how um, much grief I have and I can only imagine what these families are going through. I mean, they must be living, like, this didn't happen, like, how could this have happened? I mean, I, they're in I, such shock right oh, now, yeah. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I don't want to move past any of that and just acknowledge, um, even though I wasn't directly affected with the loss of a family member or a friend, um, I was sharing with Mel, there are such close connections that both of us could right away say, I know somebody who lost somebody. Oh, and yeah. And that's how, how small... Maine is. So we may not be directly affected, but loved ones of ours or people we know are, and and that cuts through pretty deep. So that was one thing I wanted to mention before we yeah. and, go on. And by no means are we trying to... I don't know how to <laughs> explain what I want to say. We're, we're just talking about it because we kind of need to talk about yeah. it. And we, yeah. want, we want you all to feel... For myself, I feel, I guess, survivor, survival guilt that why on earth do I feel bad? I didn't... Yeah. I wasn't affected directly, but this is our state. I'm pretty sure the majority of you who listen are in our state, and I don't want you to feel bad for feeling unsafe and scared and sad for these people mm -hmm. and you know we're we're feeling all these different emotions and it's okay to feel the emotions it is and i i go back to um some of the things unique to our generation that kind of bubbled up as i thought about things in the past few days and i've shared this with mel and we've kind of both agreed that this is what unique to our generation strikes us is what we've lived through and starting from a young age, I remember the first media event that I remember sitting in my living room watching play out live was Baby Jessica and Clore. And I can remember, I, I can uh -huh. picture in my head where I was the night they pulled her out of that well. Yeah. And it was just crazy because we were, we were all like on the mm. edge of our seats oh, watching. President, President Reagan was saying like everybody in America considers themselves a godmother or godfather of this child. She, she was 18 months old. This baby fell down a well in Midland, Texas. It was 1987 and I was just, yeah, I just turned 11. So I, you know, the age of actually my oldest child right now, I, I remember in detail, spending 
hours just watching um, every update. They were trying to find someone who could fit down the well. They were trying to figure out how to get access to her safely. Um, and just that revelation of being able to pull her out alive after 56 hours of her being yeah, down there I don't without remember food how water. Long. It was so... And just to have that happy ending. That yeah. was what set me up as this thing might have been scary, but it ended... In and, a happy ending. I mean, all of the cries, of cheers when mm -hmm. she came up mm -hmm. and, you know, sitting in the, you know, watching this and crying, tears of joy that here's this little girl, mm -hmm. you know, safely in this um, rescuer's arms. And yeah. it was, it was yeah. a it happy was moving, ending, like and it said. was it was reassuring that everything was okay. And, at the same time, I think I had just maybe a year prior, I think we've talked about it before, watched in real time the Challenger explosion. Yeah. So, you know, that was another media event that um, I didn't fully appreciate as a 10-year-old what it all meant, but uh, I know that it was very openly, I mean, once it, it the was... cat's out of the bag, you know, they had to be very open about what happened and talk about it with us and well and one of the big things for us was that the t teacher the first teacher to go in space right. was from New Hampshire right so we were that all you know watching to, yeah and that was an extra or an added i don't think certain things don't seem to really affect you as much unless you have that little connection to it and True. i think that's what it was for True, us that we could imagine one of our teachers being yeah. a victim of that and so those things as a child that I remember standing out as media events playing out in real time that were yeah. a lot to process. I It makes me now as a mother think about what my kids will remember from this. And we, right off the bat, my husband and I had the news on the first night things were happening and my youngest was in bed, my oldest was going to bed. I had no idea that he had walked by and caught enough information on TV to know something was going on with the shooter. He went to bed that night, and then the next morning when I went to get him up and tell him there was no school because there was a manhunt yeah. uh, going on, he said he had had nightmares. And I couldn't figure out how he had any information, but he said, I, I, saw, I just saw something on TV before I went to bed. And a lot of kids, they don't talk about it when they see no, something like had, that. I had no idea that he, and I don't think he even realized that it yeah. was going to, I mean, think about all the video games. Even today, my kids were playing a silly little game, but it involves shooting. I yeah. mean, there was some element of shooting in, you know, that they've had so many games that have played out violence or they've, you know, I admit it, my kids watch PG-13 movies now. I try to make sure by going online and researching that they don't see anything too violent or, you know, too inappropriate for their age, but they've seen violence growing up. So yeah. and that really, like the actual violent situation to get to him that quickly. And then the next night, I know a lot of parents that I've spoken to, their kids couldn't sleep because it's, this was the knowledge that the whole world outside the door was potentially unsafe. Um, even though the reality was we were mostly removed in my community, being so far enough away and off the, the track that they yeah. suggested he was on. But even so, like no school, it really, it really hit them. Well, I went home from school because of a danger. Yeah, I'm even further away from the mm -hmm. event, and we didn't have school. And they're living where we do. Hunting season started today. 
So mm-hmm. you have all these men and women and kids that are preparing to go out in the woods on Saturday. And, you know, at the press conference that I had listened to the other day, um, before they found him, they were saying how, you know, you're going to hear guns. Mm-hmm. Don't, you know, if you live up in Fort Kent and you hear mm-hmm. a gun, don't necessarily call 911. True. And, yeah. you know, they were really trying to put things, you know, have people put things in perspective before just escalating whatever's going on. And it's just, Maine has the most guns out of all the states. Like I did not know that. Um, I, I don't have the, the, the actual mm. stat in front of me, but we had just been like ranked the safest state in the United States. Um, and we also had been, um, like the number most guns per, you know, capita, capita. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But we also last year only had 29 homicides. It's where we've been like safe. Mm-hmm. But here we are into... Well, yeah, and it just dispels that notion that not here, it can't happen here. And I think, you know, you get used to seeing things play out on the news that happen elsewhere, and it's that false sense of security. And, you know, going back to the personal connection, I I was telling Mel this about my connection to one of the locations in particular growing up that bowling alley was a bowling alley I spent time at and um you know it I can place myself there so knowing that level of detail I haven't been there in years but I can still place myself there and my again my in-laws live a mile away so I'm in that area I can also remember having my prom at that location because they have a a space above the bowling alley that they rent out or had at that time and um you know I just I know that it's a long-standing place where people have spent their time socializing and that it was always a safe and happy place to go yeah I mean and now that's it's gone gone. and there are going to be so many people who are not only afraid to leave their home, but, you know, when it comes time to do any sort of event, they're yeah. going to hesitate. They're going to maybe not go because they just don't feel safe. It's going to take a lot of time for mm-hmm. them to heal. And you hate to go to that feeling that I, you know, can't do it because it's potentially not safe. But... Like, we were trying to decide about plans even for the weekend before things started to really get to the point where they had to be canceled. Yeah. So before anything was truly canceled for the weekend, it was Thursday. I was thinking, geez, do I want to go to a place? We were supposed to go to a gala on Friday night in Portland, granted. But I was yeah. I was just feeling that sense of, do I want to gather somewhere right now? And obviously, everyone considered it was going to have yeah. to... All these things had to be rescheduled. And... Even now, though, if it was tonight, would I, <laughs> would I sign up to go gather with a bunch of people? No. Yeah. Um, it takes time to feel safe again, and I don't know what the timeline is for anybody. It's all different for everybody depending on what they've experienced, but I know that going back to kind of... I said to um, my husband, I said, I feel like we're back in pandemic times because yes. of being 
kept inside. I don't think I realized what my level of PTSD was around that yeah. quarantining feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was brought up on TV, yeah. you know, that how people were feeling, you know, mm -hmm. stuck inside again. And it. I hated it. Yeah. I hated it. I didn't even feel like. I could go beyond my own street because I live in a rural area, so I felt that extra level of, like, it's not like you're in a town where you could walk out the door and go for a walk. Like, I felt like yeah. if I was in a wooded area, I wasn't safe, so I should just stay on my little road. Um, my neighbor and I went for a walk yesterday, and we were both kind of saying, wow, it feels like we spent two years effectively walking the street was the only street yeah. that we would walk for two years during the pandemic. and. She and I had counted on each other for sanity. I was like, don't you feel like we're back to that moment where each other's sanity, walking partners, because it, you get to that point where you need something that gives you a sense of normalcy and release. And so thankful that it ended in the 40 hours or so that it did, but <clears throat> it's still, reson it's still, we're still processing um, as a Gen Xer, I just felt this weariness of going through so many events now at this point growing up. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I mean, even, even if it didn't happen in the 80s, 90s, as we became parents, we're having mm -hmm. to, you know, the way we were raised is affecting how we're parenting. And to all of a sudden have so many more events occur during the time span of, mm -hmm. you know, our children's births and yeah. growing up. It, I mean, I it's spoke intense. to my son and asked him, do you recall, you know, when you guys started doing active shooter drills at school? And oh, gosh. And he's 20. He'll be 22. Yeah. And he, you know, thought it was like fourth or fifth grade. I remember when he was in high school, him texting me saying that they were having a drill because actually there had been some notification of someone in the area, so they were locked mm. down. And he's texting me, you know, this is what's happening. I hadn't got the call from the school yet. Oh, wow. But it's like, wow. it's crazy. And that, and that as a parent, I mean, you are never prepared for your kid to be in a lockdown situation, even though no. you know they've been put through the drills and that it's there. I feel like that's unfortunately affected so many parents now in every part of the nation that yeah. there's been a, a scare or an, a reality play out and that feels ever present if you've got kids in a school. And mine had just had their active shooter drills on Monday. Ugh. And so this really felt like a strange time having just talked about it. And yeah. it's a new system for them this year. They have a new um, process around active shooter. It's called ALICE, and I don't know if it's something, I'm assuming it's a, a, uh, an approach that's used elsewhere. Um, but it's new for them. So they were talking about that, and, they were, and we were talking about, you know, just in general, do you know where all the exits are? Do you know? And mm -hmm. for me to talk to them about that felt... Um, important for me to know that they know but also you know sad that this is something that has to play out and even talking to my kids about the reality of what was going on and where the, the shootings happened um, we have a bowling alley the same one 
same name bowling alley in our area that we go to quite a bit so it's a chain yeah so it makes you it felt very and i actually said you know if we were ever in a place like that like it's good to know how something like that could happen and even if it was a fire or something like that it's always good to know be aware of your surroundings it's a good reminder you know we never want to have to worry but you know it is important to be aware of those things and ugh. It's just, I just can't believe the conversations I've had this week. So <laughs> I just want to. Yeah. It, and I mean, I, I live in a very, very, very rural place. When I go for walks down my road, I'm worried about seeing a bear or a rabid fox or, you know, a coyote. The other night, Sam told me how he was listening to the coyotes, you know, wow. yipping. Oh, so, gosh, it's, yeah. you know, yeah. we're always hearing, you know, animals and stuff. And to think now we have to worry about someone, a person, when we're walking. Well, and you had a situation on your road the day yeah, after the, the shooting. Yeah. the I had uh, state police go whizzing past. My road is like two and a half miles long, and it connects on both ends to a uh, main road. And... I had state troopers whizzing past my house, and my friend at the other end of the road had them whizzing past her house, sirens blaring, and we text each other, the cops just went by. <laughs> wow. And gosh. then I find out that at the top of the hill from our walking route that we do every day during our work week, at the top of our first hill, that's where they got the guy. And he was supposedly armed and dangerous, and I, I just, to think in the midst of this chaos that you had literally outside your door, more chaos, it, you know, that's the world. It feels like it's just falling apart sometimes, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> it just feels, and I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but it, we're in the midst of feeling like there's just so much uh, violence and mental illness and I just think it's a tough time to be in this world having come off of, unfortunately, the pandemic caused some issues around, you know, not being able to give, get people get the care, the health care they need. And um, I think that there's been increased anxiety and depression and mental illness has um, gone up, I believe, since the pandemic. Yeah. So, yeah, you as even um, because I I handle disability claims for my main job. And the amount of people leaving their jobs due to depression, anxiety, PTSD. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just so many things that have increased in the mental health. And you can't, they can't get help. They're right. trying to get appointments with people and, you know, right. two, three months, six months. Right. I mean, right. it could be too late for them by the time they're able to see someone. Yeah, and that, and then thinking about um, the fact that if someone's in crisis, you know, do they have enough resources in this area? Probably, you know, not like any other area. Um, but are they, even with their family, getting the support they need? It goes beyond the resources. It goes mm -hmm. beyond. It takes a village, right? Like I was thinking yeah. in terms of what happened with this guy going in getting some level of crisis care when he had a situation in the summer and he was put in a facility for two weeks. 
I was just imagining, like, did he have the people in his life coming off of that experience that could continue to monitor and not that it's their responsibility for what happened oh, yeah, at all yeah. but it takes much more than like oh you went to a facility you come back you're done you move on it's people all being part of the process of getting someone help and and this guy may or may not have had that I don't know but I just feel sad for the people that um that are going through a crisis of mental health because I've been through that myself I've I needed all the help and support I could get and you know if it was to the point where it, it, there was a chance of violence or self-inflicted mm-hmm. um, I would like to think that people would help me make myself safe you know keep myself safe but you you just can't manage every situation and I know and I know that this guy even if he had the best of help probably was gonna find a way yeah and was gonna and he had the access and he had the training to be um, very effective in what he did and um, I don't know if we'll ever really truly know why beyond some of the things that led him to that breaking point maybe there's something in the note maybe not but there's so much that goes into the mental health issue and the gun issue and I don't know I feel weary at just thinking about it all but I want to be part of a solution I feel like I want to show up for advocating for whatever it is that we're missing, for whatever it is that yeah. we need, and, and I'm I, trying to figure that out. I am not promoting any agenda. I just want this to stop. Right. Whatever it's going to take, I'm, I'm good to go. I'll be on that team. Well, and I know that statistically I did a lot of reading about, you know, the fact that... Um, murders or homicides with firearms are usually with um within a domestic situation yeah so these mass shooting events might seem like they happen all the time but they still are very much a small percentage of gun related violence and so that helps me kind of understand that it feels like lightning struck in my community it's 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 a lightning strike event it's not it's not something we have to worry about every day. We're just no. unfortunately a community that had lightning strike it. Yes. And I mean, this, there hasn't really, has there been any mass, um, or at least this large of a massive shooting since Uvalde? And yeah. it's, it's just, it hit too close and now we're all have questions and mm-hmm. need need to talk and that's what we're doing we're just talking it out yeah and i appreciate that you know it was hard to decide whether to it's i don't want to trigger anybody i don't want to say anything wrong and that's part of that fear that drives us i think today to not uh step on toes or not misspeak and not cause anybody pain or suffering because sometimes you know that's a a thing that can happen very unintentionally or yes intentionally and like you said, we're here to just talk it through, and we we want our world to be a little bit safer and a little bit um, less chaotic, and that might not happen in our lifetime. It might not be a reality of being in this world. I mean, I look at what even my own parents were talking about, active shooter drills. Well, they had 
the Cuban Missile Crisis in their day and age, they were hiding under desks for, because they thought they were going to be bombed. I mean, it's yeah. not like our our yeah. lifetime has ever seen total peace. No, you know, no, this no. is just another form of violence that we have to unfortunately realize that we may or may not live through, and now we have. And I think knowing you as well that I as I do, and for knowing myself, I think what we both would like to tell our listeners is that we are very sympathetic, empathetic, and we just want you all to be okay. If you need to talk to somebody, you don't feel comfortable talking to somebody, you can talk to us. Mm -hmm. We've got Mm -hmm. lots of ways for you to contact us. And Mm -hmm. I, I, we both just have really big hearts and want to help anybody who needs help. And yeah, we may not be the answers, but we can help you try if, you need us. Sometimes it just comes down to talking. I feel like we don't spend enough time in conversation with each other. I'm going to share a little story, and it's not in any way meant to compare, but it comes from this week. I had an incident occur. I had a very uh, volatile conversation with a customer support person, (laughs) and and I started the the situation myself. So I had been very overwhelmed with an issue with my phone and I called support to try to get it fixed and I'd been passed through a couple times to this person. And they sounded to me, it was late in the day, but they also, you know, just sounded kind of tired and not particularly empathetic. And that was fine, but it got to the point where they were guiding me through some things and I felt this tone coming out of the person. And I, I got triggered by it, I guess. Um, tone I, is everything. Tone is everything. Your so, words, don't, words don't necessarily yeah, have to... It really... I it. interpreted this person as um, really not thrilled to be talking to me <laughs> because of the way things were progressing. So I, at one point, just got angry and said I, I sensed a tone that I did not want to continue the call and wanted to be transferred. And they said... They were, you know, not able to do that and that I'd have to hang up, which got me more upset. And I was, you know, just, I didn't swear. I didn't, but I, I just got angry and I let that person know I was displeased and I wanted to be, you know, I, I wasn't going to hang up. I wanted to be put through. I was getting a little irrational. I admit yeah. it. Um, and then this person got really emotional, upset. Really? What did they say? They were feeling very um, threatened. Not, I don't know if they said threatened, but they, they felt very um, uncomfortable with the way I was speaking to them. So it, this person came at it as, you're making me feel victimized, right? So <laughs> I was feeling like I wasn't getting what I needed and feeling hurt that this person didn't seem to want to really, truly be compassionate or helpful. They were feeling like I was giving them so much of an attitude and and that I was in some way, you know, putting them under uh, a spotlight. They didn't feel like they wanted to deal with. They they felt very uncomfortable. So it caught me off guard. I I didn't speak. I listened. And the person kept saying they were going to disconnect me, but they didn't. So by the time they were done, and they'd said it a couple times, but that they kept reiterating what they were feeling, I said, I'm sorry for making you feel this way. This is totally unacceptable, but here's where I'm coming from. I'm really feeling that I'm not getting the respect from you either, and that's why I 
wanted to, you know, discontinue the call. And then they apologized. So you were able... And that's part of... The diffusion was not a given. Like, I, yeah. I felt like I really wasn't going to talk to this person again. And that would have been fine because we were just so offended by each other. But somehow this conversation then continued. We apologized, and I still expected to end the call. Yeah. He continued to speak with me. We had a rational conversation. I, at the end of the call, said, I'm, I'm glad we could continue to have a conversation tonight. It, it kind of struck me as not normal. Yeah. <laughs> well. It, but it felt like that was something that maybe it doesn't happen enough. No. And, th- I mean, that's a lot, especially customer service type jobs. You don't know where where they've already been in their day and how many people they've talked to who were um, basically verbally attacking them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so they may already be at a heightened state of mind. And then mm-hmm. if you're trying to stand up for yourself and get the service that mm-hmm. you feel you deserve, some that might trigger them mm-hmm. to, you know, get even more uptight and come across as rude when you both just need to... Listen, it's not you. This is, I, I just mm-hmm. I just want this fixed. Yeah. You know. And that's the kind of mindset and reaction I think we're all now conditioned in some way to be aware could very well just happen at any time is that you don't always assume you're going to have someone who's able to talk through a volatile situation and that you have to be careful about who you upset yes. and who you... Um, you know, put in a position to just break. And that clearly can happen with anybody, and it can be a perfect storm depending on who they are, what they have access to, or what they're motivated to do. And, you know, it's it's just deeply painful to know that I have to set my kids out into the world and hope that they make it through a world of feels like mine a minefield kind kind of world it's not just go out and enjoy your life like go out and be safe you know (laughs) test the waters just a little don't fully jump in Uh, yes yeah Yeah. but i there's a chris pratt quote chris pratt yeah i know (laughs) like who who would think he's a guardian of the galaxy so maybe that's worth going to and i mean it's (laughs) I used to actually have it over my desk at work, and he, I think it was like MTV Awards or something that he was at, and his basic, what he, you know, was trying to get across is, don't be a turd. I love it. (laughs) You know, we're all just here trying to live our lives. You don't have to like each other. You don't have to be around each other, you know, except for possibly a few times here and there. But just get along. Suck it up for a few minutes. And mm-hmm. don't don't make somebody, don't make them hit that breaking point. I mean, just treat them, treat them the way you would want yeah, to be treated. The golden rule. Yeah. I know. And I, I do think it's hard to show up every day in that manner I find myself struggling I'm not gonna I'm not perfect no one is so I have days where I feel more like the victim and it's you have to intentionally get yourself out of that mindset you have to 
sometimes really work hard not to allow yourself to feel victimized or yeah I mean we all we all have those moments where mm-hmm. we're what was me mm-hmm. my life is you know so horrible and yeah I you know we feel like the victim all the time it's easy to slide into that yeah but and we all have our ways to get out of it yeah yeah, I mean, just funny enough, I was at a conference on Wednesday, which it was, the theme was Cultivating You. It was a women's conference, and one of the sessions I attended was about how to not burn out, and it was particularly personal for me because I had lived through that in the pandemic time. I yeah. did burn out. I left my work, my job, and had to kind of take a couple months to get through some um, difficult stuff. So I wanted to see what they would share and how, you know, what I could still learn about that because I am now self-employed. There are times that I feel overwhelmed still. So it was much more from an HR, these were two HR professionals, but their their premise was it's beyond self-care. It's now we need to develop personal resilience, which I think is really what even kids now are being taught tools for being resilient. I see my kids going through that kind of um, educational approach. Um, mindfulness is taught even in kindergarten. You know, my kids oh, yeah. were taught mindfulness from day one. Um, but the guidance program, at least in our school district, really, I think, gives them that idea of how to be resilient without the words when they're young. And yeah, I don't think it's something I was ever really fully aware of as a there was no language for that. There was, I, w- I was just sort of, let's pick yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. Yeah. Suck it up, buttercup. Suck it up, buttercup. Oh, yeah. It was. It was definitely a suck it up, buttercup mentality. Not anymore, because look where that led us. Yeah. Here we, here we <laughs> are. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's totally different now. Mm-hmm. We, you yeah. know. So I even look at that session a little differently a day later isn't that interesting like I had no idea I would really walk away wanting to draw off of something I had learned on Wednesday in that way but personal resilience what does that mean and I do I agree it's beyond self-care how do we build a more resilient society which sounds so lofty but yeah I mean we we need it just as much being on the receiving end of a crisis as we do for people to just get through their regular life in a way that um, prevents these acts. And maybe that's not, it's oversimplifying, but I wonder if there had been some level of that in this person's life. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I mean, he suffered some terrible hits himself in life, it sounds like. so. and also, his family is dealing with what's going on, and you know we need to be sensitive as absolutely. far as absolutely, absolutely. We, we say. are only conjecturing, yeah. and it's just in general wondering what could have helped this person more, and maybe nothing could have. And you know, at this point, I have to say I'm really blown away by the stories that are coming out about what was done. Um, by local heroes that saved some lives. Yes. And I know that Mr. Rogers taught us to always look for 
um, the helpers in those situations and to focus on those stories to look at what came of that evening and and afterwards over the past couple days I'm trying to uh, turn my focus from the tragedy and not totally turn a blind eye but also look at well if, if it weren't for this person this might have happened yeah. and thank goodness there are people in their helper roles that exactly. whether they're assigned or not whether they're oh, in yeah. in a response situation or not and you never know how you're going to react when a situation like this happens yeah i just want to say one more time about lewiston it feels like having um grown up there that it had changed a lot it had not um felt like the same place for me going home for many years because you know I'm in my 40s now I've seen it change quite a bit and it's in a tough place continues to be in a tough economic place you know but also um you know there are some spurts of seeing like I went I just went to dinner uh downtown Lewiston a week or two prior and I was really thrilled to see some great new restaurants and I was walking around feeling the sense of just excitement and a little bit of excitement that it felt growth yeah it felt positive downtown Mm -hmm. which I hadn't felt in a while and I hadn't been really in the downtown recently so I was kind of reminded or appreciating like there are some things about Lewiston that are great that are coming out of it that that are great and I I hate to imagine now Lewiston being shut into this little space of being a, a location of a mass shooting like all these other yeah, places what it's are. known for now yeah. which you know that that's very unfortunate because there's been lo- Bates College is in Lewiston think of some of the great people who went to Bates College oh yeah I did wonder <clears throat> how that might impact the level of concern and safety around sending kids to college here I mean I hope it is seen as an isolated thing but um you know, those those students were rightfully scared and traumatized in that situation, too. And, um, yeah, there's just a whole ripple effect. And <sighs> I just had to Google this because yeah. I had a vague recollection. But Lewiston used to be known for the town where Muhammad Ali mm, yep, took Muhammad on Ali, yep. Sonny Liston yeah, yeah. and knocked him out. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean. It's a fighter kind of town. That's they're fighters, they so they're going to get through this, just like all the other places. And we're not gonna, we're not gonna put on our victim faces and just settle to be known for this. It makes me think of whenever I drive into Lewiston. Now I come over the bridge from Auburn, and on the right hand side is um, like the downtown with the mills, and there's a big building, mill building, and there's um. I've seen it in other cities, too, but it's that hopeful um, sign. It's yeah. lit up on the right-hand side. I look at that, and I always think, I, lo- I love that it ended up there. I don't know when it popped up. Um, it's been there for years now, but it wasn't always there, and I, I have always enjoyed seeing that sign, and now I feel like it has a new meaning. Yeah. Um, and I, I hope it continues to give meaning. Um and we all need to believe that hopefulness is allowed and hopefulness matters and that we can be hopeful 
in any place in our lives continue to feel hopeful. It, right now I, I'm struggling to feel hopeful, but I know that that's what matters, or you will just continue to look at the, the scary things in life that keep us small. Um, and we have to look to the light and look to literally yeah. the lit up sign of hopeful um, and yeah. let that sometimes, be the light. Sometimes all of a sudden something you've passed by millions of times just is your beacon of hope. Yeah. The light, the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. So we just, like you said, Mel, encourage any any um, comments or discussion points that you might want to raise if we didn't say something that you want to bring up a point or just need to share or vent or grieve um, we have our email address latchkey chicks, chicks at, at gmail.com gmail and you can always just um, reach out on Instagram, Instagram Facebook direct message us um we welcome any interaction with listeners we love you and if you're listening and been directly affected by any loss or any similar uh, event and that you have had to kind of rebuild from we'd love to hear stories about just you're you're getting through a tough time and a, a time that you never expected to live through what did you do your, your resilient story. Um, Gen Xers are particularly resilient despite not being trained on personal resilience. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we we had to be. Yeah. I mean, we were taking care of ourselves, so we had to learn to survive. So, yeah. Draw on your latchkey values, yeah. everybody, and just know that even if you're home alone, you never truly are. Nope. And we might feel alone right now, but we are not, so... You, you've always got Mel and Julie in your corner. <laughs> uh, in that, we sound pretty creepy saying that. We're not going to be in your corner if you don't want us there. No, 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 no. I no, mean, no, that's no. a, like, just let us know. We'll leave the corner. Healthy boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, only want, we only want to be there for support if you want us there. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll fly the coop. <laughs> but on that note, we love you and... and we want you to take care of yourselves, take care of your families, give each other hugs. Yeah. And stay gold. Stay gold, guys.